This is the Third Turn Podcast. We welcome you to our 30th episode and our conversation with Connie J. Miller. Your hosts are Kristen Evenson, a consultant and coach trained in the neuroscience of change, and Mark L. Vincent, founder of Design Group International and the Society for Process Consulting. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to you too today, Mark. Hey, it's good to see you again, Kristen. You as well. Our guest today is Connie Jane Miller, whose leadership and impact within the credit union industry is definitely a story worth sharing. So we welcome you too, Connie. Thank you very much. Connie, I'm so glad you're here. Your credit union career ended in what some of us who work with these things might call a sideways or an upward merger or an upward acquisition. And you were the CEO of what was then the Icon Credit Union. And we're, we're going to get into that story, but there is a whole lot of story prior to it where your own leadership was shaped and honed and brought you to that CEO seat. And we'd just like to start here by asking you if you could give us an overview of that leadership journey. Sure. Yeah, I'm excited to be part of this. Looking forward to really sharing some of that journey and definitely lessons learned in hopes to uh, help others uh, who are leading in really an ever-changing world. But I've been very blessed with a career of leading teams and organizations that are very mission-driven. That was always important to me, even though I got my accounting degree and I'm a numbers person it was always important to me that I work for someone and an organization that meant something. So I'm just a servant leader at heart. That's kind of my personality. So I really am blessed that I pick organizations to work for that were very much about doing uh, something for the good of the world. So I worked about a total of around 35 years in different leadership positions until most recently, kind of a semi-retirement status. And I'm excited to launch um, that leadership consulting business that I've created called Credible Advantage to really just take the many lessons that I've learned over the years and help others. I've had some incredible mentors and some incredible professional development opportunities uh, throughout my life. But I started my career for a large nonprofit as an accountant. And I got where through that journey of, of working for a real a mission-led organization, I really fell in love with, I watched what good leadership was and I watched who was effective in all of that throughout my day in and day out uh, work. And so I really kind of fell in love with watching who was gaining the respect uh, as a leader and uh, who who was struggling getting uh, people to really want to um, kind of follow that. So after that, I did get to a point in my career where I was bored. I had learned everything I could learn on the accounting side. And I woke up one day and I was thinking, I think there's more in the world for me. I think there's more I can do. Didn't quite have the self-confidence to step into a big role somewhere, I was blessed to land in an organization in the credit unit industry, and I moved into, it was a wholesale credit union at the time, and I had never worked for a financial institution. I didn't know anything about credit unions, but it was a, a CFO role in a wholesale level credit union. 
And what I will say about that organization is that I went from this very nurturing, feel-good environment to truly a dysfunctional environment. I really learned a lot through that journey of working in a somewhat of a disengaged environment that was impactful in my whole career. Uh, So what I learned through that journey was really about the importance of creating teams, working together, uh, because it didn't exist there. And I also saw how everyone was working against each other. And I had this opportunity to leave and go back to my prior job twice, actually, because that position kept opening back up. And I just remember thinking, oh, I made this decision. There's something bigger out there in the world for me. And what I was learning in that new challenging environment was was more than I ever learned in a class in college. And so I just decided to stay and help shape the new organization where I could. And so through that, I, I, I really thrived because I gained a sense of becoming respected as someone who could help those that were really stuck in a negative view of the company or those that started communicating in how to improve the company and help support people rather than just stay in that sabotaging mindset. And I gained a lot of uh, self-esteem from that, but I also really gained a lot of fulfillment. It's so much better to be on, on the positive side of how to improve a situation than the negative. Through that experience though, I did eventually discover some unethical behaviors that were occurring. It did take me about a month to get the guts to take what I had learned. And the only person I could take it to was the board of directors, which took a lot of courage, I remember at the time. Uh, But that was by far the most impactful in my career before I got into my current position. So then I moved into my current position as a CFO at our credit union, and I just finished 23 years there and moved into the CEO role about 13 years ago. And it's been an incredible career, but I used those skills in that short little stint of two and a half years at that dysfunctional environment more than any other skill I ever gained in my whole career. Connie, one of the great things about being a part of this podcast is that Kristen and I get to hear a whole variety of stories, and they really aren't patterned. One of the things that really stood out to me from what you just shared is how we might make a caricature of of a numbers person. You're able to go out of the dark side and into the light and start to care about culture and people, and not just how the numbers uh, matter, although you knew how much the numbers mattered, or you wouldn't have brought things to the board's attention when you did, and that really did take great courage. But that that movement forward grows out of how you kept saying you kept learning, you kept learning, you kept learning. And I, I just noticed that really how you were describing it, it was vicarious learning. You weren't just in it and learning. You were watching people and taking shape of what worked for them and what didn't and making adjustments without having to go through some of the hard knocks of thinking that you would be the exception and then, you know, running into the brick wall that you saw others running into. And I'm wondering, how did vicarious learning like that show up in your life so early? 
when did you notice that you could learn that way? Years ago, when as a youth, I was a Girl Scout. And one of the things that we learned in Girl Scouting was, number one, how to make a difference and how to take a situation. And we did a lot of community service and girl-led projects and things like that. But I do remember in my nonprofit work and community service work as a girl, learning about how we can make a difference and feeling good about it. Uh, Because I came from a very um, uh, poor family that didn't have a lot of resources. And so it was one of the areas, I think, um, when I think back on that's a really great question. I think it was the satisfaction I got of as a youth going and helping uh, people that were less fortunate. And it kind of takes you out of your own world when you do that too. Yeah, Connie, you definitely, I hear, you know, a theme of really from an early age, wanting to make a difference, being really driven to mission-driven organizations. And I'm just kind of hearkening back to your comment and this theme of integrity that you as a leader observed integrity and found yourself observing unethical behavior and taking at probably some risk to yourself, or at least considering some risks, took some really courageous steps to bring that to the attention of a board. So what has been your relationship with integrity, your definition of that, and how did you, how did that become so important to you? I'm a big believer that integrity, it's when you remain steadfast in what you provide and what you deliver, regardless if it benefits you personally, or if it's actually even the direction you want um, as an employee or a team member. So I think integrity is staying true to who you are, even though it might be challenged. And an example would be some team members immediately can fault you, for example, because maybe you're staying so focused on one path or one direction or one vision that oftentimes I think they lose sight of the possibilities that could be around that because they they get so stuck in what they think the right direction should be. So for me, as I think back of the times in my career when big changes happen, such as a merger and an acquisition or a big uh, a senior team member leaving or false accusations, because I think some, I I certainly have gone through that um, at a time or two in my career, uh, is just staying true to who you are and not believing. Don't let others' lack of integrity make you weak. And sometimes that can happen. And it takes a lot of courage to be able to go through this. When you're standing talking to someone and you can tell that their conversation is self-serving and it may be exaggerated to have the courage to ask enough questions of them to get them to see a bigger picture. A lot of people will stay quiet in that and send a message that they're agreeing. So for me, I think integrity is sticking true to um, what you're trying to accomplish. Clearly, uh, honesty is part of that, right? And which is just second nature um, to me. But I think it's bigger than that. Here's here's a really great example of integrity in my mind is I used to tell my employees all the time to never lose sight of who's paying your paycheck and always remember who you serve. Because sometimes we think that we're serving each other, maybe as employees or, but if you stay true to 
to the decisions you're making in leadership that are going to support who you're serving and support who's paying your paycheck, then you make better decisions and you support them in the right way, I guess is what I want to say. So my job was always, especially as CEO, uh, but even well before I was ever CEO, I remember even in that dysfunctional environment, my job was to support the board who were the decision makers and bring in the expertise that I didn't have if I needed to give them a true picture rather than taint a false picture. And I am really proud that I stayed focused on what my employers paid me to do regardless of how it would impact me personally. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy at times, but I always knew that I trusted, number one, I trusted that I had done a great job in my job. I trusted that my work ethic and, and my talent, that I had done a good job. And I didn't let the fears of what might happen taint my input. I didn't get swayed with that. Uh, But it takes a lot of courage to work in environments, especially those of a lot of change, because people go to fear immediately and then they start assuming things and you have to be strong enough. And it almost always it's they go right to what they're going to lose and how it's going to impact them rather than seeing the big Mm. picture. Wow. Well, speaking of the big picture, you just wrapped up a merger with what I think I believe was a competitor in your industry. And I know we would love to hear more about that, Connie. So tell me how that emerged and what were what was going through your mind and how did you arrive at that idea of a merger? Yeah, so I, as the CEO, naturally impart a strategic planning process. And our board was having a very good strategic planning discussion about long term, 10 years out, five years out. Uh, we were we were discussing what's happening in the credit union industry with a lot of consolidations a lot of demand for resources for innovation and technology and technical expertise, everything from business intelligence to getting data on you know where you should grow next and how you serve consumers. So we had this wonderful discussion and the topic of merger and acquisition and partnerships more is how the credit union world works had come up over the years and it was always the, are we serving our members best? Are we fulfilling their needs? Are we doing that? So it really came out of that discussion a few years ago. And we really, our board, I was really proud of our board because our board tasked me to do some research to really look at those possibilities and those needs. So the first thing we did is we went to work on identifying our gaps. Like if we wanted to be big and if we wanted, and big wasn't as much as fulfilling our members' needs. If we truly wanted to make sure that we were meeting our members' needs five years from now, what were our gaps today? What would we need? And so we built a, basically a build it ourselves and growth model. And then we built a partner and accelerate that model. And I went to work and researched facets of both of those models And it was actually a phenomenal exercise. And I think one of the things that was so important was to get my mind out of it and get how it's going to impact me. Because I was the CEO. I had worked for this organization for 23 years. I was passionate and proud of what we had built. But I also knew there was gaps in serving our members. 
And so we visited some very large credit unions that were at least five times our size. And we and in the credit union industry, it's wonderful because it is a cooperative movement. So there is exceptions, but for the most part, credit unions, it's not uncommon that you can go sit in a meeting with the top execs of another successful credit union and pick their brains. It's, it's a wonderful industry in that regard. So my board chair and I visited a couple credit unions. We looked at strategic plans. We looked at the, the expertise they had sitting around the room. We talked to them about their challenges, what's their goals. And it became very apparent that we had some gaps. And so we just went to research those and we, we researched the feasibility of what it would take to get basically that in place and what would our competitive world look like by the time we got it in place. Because that was important as well is we could accomplish anything. We knew that. The question was, did we have the time and how fast were all the other successful organizations going to move and where would we be when we, when we caught up basically? And then we did the partner research. And I honestly, I, I can honestly say this, that I did not know which way our board would vote when we got all the research and all the conversations going, because both of them had a lot of viability. Both of them were going to be a lot of work. And I was really proud of the questions that our board asked, and they stayed focused on those two models in which one they felt was right for us. So I just, and I will share, it was really unfortunate, but during this period of time, we actually had some leaders in our organization that were so focused on how it was going to impact them and how maybe their career path would change with one model versus another, that they actually showed up with a, a very strong one-sided data and opinions and it really was unfortunate. I don't think it swayed the decision, but it was unfortunate because they lost credibility as an executive bringing information for the good of the whole. They lost, they lost the respect of the board from that. And it was unfortunate because that would have been a perfect time for them to shine as true impartial executives working for the good of the organization. You know, it's interesting because I, I feel a kindred spirit with you, Connie. I actually was an executive leader in a fraternal insurance organization. And we thought of the credit union industries as our, our cousins because, you know, it is about, it's a, it's a community. Uh -huh. It's about serving our members. There's collegiality between different organizations. And we, too, were pursuing both reinvention, strategic reinvention, and merger, and ultimately ended up merging. So it's really fun to hear your story and um, think of my own experience. And that leads to my next question. What do you, in your experience, um, what was uniquely required of you as a leader in that kind of a, you know, two scenarios, which way could this go kind of a process? I think the first thing was, if you don't know, be true to what message you're delivering and the information and knowledge that you had. I had never, I have actually led several mergers and new partnerships where smaller credit unions merged in with our credit union, but I had never been on the other side of that before. So it was new to me. So I think the honesty, integrity with, um, with, for me, it was my board of directors. I had seven board members about what I know and what I don't know. I think that was uh, first and foremost. The other thing is trying to lead the team to, we don't know where we are. We are not the decision makers. 
it's the board of directors that are the decision makers. And we have a responsibility to give them as much information as we can and show them where we need expertise. So one thing that I did is I knew where my strengths and weaknesses were. I knew where my knowledge was. And I knew I needed some help, for example, in getting a technical expert to really talk to us about a very large core processing system that we were going to need to purchase. And I knew I didn't have that information. So inviting in consultants and not being afraid, it's too, that, for example, was too big of a decision to try to guess at or make assumptions or feelings around. So I did actually bring in two consultants that I discovered that really helped the board um, sort out and they were just higher level expertise in areas I didn't have. And so I think as leaders, we have a responsibility that when we don't have the knowledge or haven't experienced something before, that we need to find a way to bring in the knowledge and not, not tainted knowledge. Like I really did want someone that could present both sides. And so we did that and it, it worked incredible. It gave our board, there's two things that happened with that. It gave them a lot of information that they didn't have. But the other thing is the board trusted their decision and their gut in the decision-making because they had that information and they didn't feel like we were hiding something from them or we were only presenting um, one side. The other thing I had to show up as that was critical was I had to remove my personal situation from it. I had to remove things like things that go in your head like, oh, but I won't be the, the, the final decision maker anymore. I switched to a regional president role after the merger and I, I couldn't get in my head about what I wasn't going to like about the change if, if we went certain ways. I had to stay focused on what it was going to do to the organization and the members. And I had to remove myself from it. Now, it doesn't mean I wasn't smart and that I didn't have good conversations about how to protect my investment in the organization and the promises the organization had made to me. I definitely had those conversations, but it didn't lead how I led that decision. Stay tuned as we will return to our conversation with Connie Jane Miller in just a moment. Are you a business leader or owner who's beginning to think about how and when and what succession might look like for you and your organization? If so, Maestro Level Leaders was designed with you in mind. This peer-based leadership journey helps leaders set aside intentional, proactive time to explore and map what succession, sustained organizational success, and legacy looks like in each leader's unique life and organizational context. Our next cohort kicks off in January and is forming now. So if this sounds helpful for you or someone you know, and you'd like to learn more, please go to maestrolevelleaders.com and complete the form there to start a conversation. Welcome back, everyone. Our conversation today is with Connie J. Miller, former CEO of Icon Credit Union, and who also helped lead the charge to become what is now Horizon Credit Union, a significant player, particularly in the Pacific Northwest. Connie, I've been making note here of just several significant themes that don't usually show up in combination in a leader. Uh, the fact that you would see your role as supporting the board and its decisions. I mean, so often it is the board, the board, the board, what they did, what they're, how they're hamstringing me and handcuffing me. And it's so refreshing to hear you say that. Also, you've repeatedly come back to the idea that you cannot 
serve yourself and your compensation package and try to put yourself in the best possible light for what may come, but rather it's the service of the organization that actually helps to build that value for everybody coming after any decisions are made. And you also keep bringing out this theme of leaning into what you don't know, continuing to learn. And I'm just really taking those things to heart. Connie, as we do these interviews, we're finding that almost every maestro level leader story uh, has some obstacles in it that had to be overcome or some kind of restraint that had to be shed because they were holding a person back. It could be something like, hey, I wasn't college educated uh, or my gender was a problem for some people who are higher up in the organization or my youth got in the way for certain people or I was a minority culture. Just any number of things or some combination that are often in that story and they had to work around. So I'm wondering if you could identify some of those things that you had to get past or work around uh, in seeing yourself as a leader and for others to uh, respect you and be willing to follow you. Absolutely. So early in my career, it was that I really needed to create a strong network of professionals around me. And I had a wonderful mentor. Her name was Mary Grunwald. And she took me under wing. I was a shy accountant in the cubicle. And she said, Connie, do you want to do more? And what does this look like? And so she really taught me the importance of surrounding yourself with great wise people and got me involved in a, a few nonprofits and the Institute of Management Accountants. That's where I really grew the ability to that I can sit down at a table with, with eight other accountants and not be intimidated. So the one thing I say is that I always try to help my employees uh, with and people I'm mentoring is step up and serve on a board somewhere because the people that raise their hands and say yes to serving are usually great humans and they usually love to help. And they're usually pretty smart people. So build your network um, through that means. And so that's one thing I would say. It just got me the self-confidence to that people are just people and everyone um, loves to meet new people and help people. The second one that just resonates with me is I'm often asked uh, being a female leader and especially a female in a male dominated industry. You know, how do you rise above? You know, how do you um, tackle that? How did you overcome that? But for me personally, and, and I know everyone's different for me personally, there was times I had to bring to light if someone would would bring it up verbally and say, in, in my CEO interview, for example, uh, I was asked the question, don't you think it's hard for females to supervise men? Which was a really inappropriate question at the time. But rather than get all worked up about it, it's just lean into that um, and, and don't get so consumed about, for me, whether I was a male or female. The other thing I will say around that is I almost had to forget and I was able to do this easily, forget that I'm female. I didn't focus so much on that to let it be a distraction for me because I knew if I stepped in and proved myself, everyone wants to be around people that are smart people that will do a great job. It, and so I, for me personally, I have had times where it could have impacted, uh, but I think because I just stayed focused on showing up and doing the right thing and and being prepared that it, it worked for me. The one thing I will say is I can think of times where I showed up correctly, and that is 
I stayed focused on what professional behavior looks like. And I showed up every day proving that I could be trusted in what I say I'm going to deliver. And you're always going to have some people that will want to take you down or um, blame you for something or whatever. But I stayed focused on that. And when I wrote my book, it was a big part of it was what's your personal brand you want to create for yourself that shows up whether you're volunteering or on the ball field or at a PTA meeting or at work. Uh, So that was one thing. The other thing for me is, so I have taken my uh, new employees out for coffee and we have a one-on-one sit down coffee about how to get ahead at Icon Credit Union. And one of them was always support the company mission, learn the company mission, support it. It's never a good idea to try to take the organization down a different path than the vision of your leadership. It's a good idea to give them insight as to what you're hearing from your customers and other things that might be opportunities, but it's never a good idea to try to be stubborn about that. Every organization knows who supports their vision and who doesn't. The leaders know this. It's really usually pretty glaringly obvious. And then the other thing is help your boss be better. Even my my tough bosses that I've had, you can't just criticize them. Everyone knows in the organization who supports the leadership and the company vision. That's just the way it is. So even if I didn't agree with them, I didn't sabotage them. I found ways to have courageous conversations that would help them be better. And it was about us all being better. What that does is it creates a workspace where the naysayers don't seek you out. They might go seek someone else out. But they will seek you out for more of the positive energy around that, not the negative. And so that was something that I learned a long time ago was find a way. I've worked for boards my whole life. And the boards are the same way. Find a way to support your board. I think companies, I know as CEO, definitely this was the case, is the board paid me to be the biggest supporter of my organization and to help them become better. And so... I did that. I focused on it and it worked for me. It didn't uh, didn't get me off my game ever because I stayed focused on that. Well, it's it just seems so simple, doesn't it? Like work in support of the mission, work in support of your leaders, work in support of the board. It's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's it sounds simple and it's very, very hard because of all that can be happening in the culture. And uh, I'm working with a couple of clients right now where the, the CEO, the person in the, the main seat, struggles to embody that mission. So they're creating confusion, which then makes it difficult to support. So some of their stars can't be stars as a result and can't grow as a result. I know Kristen has another question to ask, but I'd like to just quickly ask, because you referred to your book, if you could uh, just tell us the book title and just a thumbnail sketch of what it's about. Oh, sure. Uh, It's called Don't Sabotage Your Career. And I really named it because that is what I see amazing, talented, smart people do is they sabotage themselves with some of these other behaviors that they think aren't as important. So emotional intelligence is critical now in understanding how you come across, how you're impacting other people. So I wrote the book to really help people with all the other things that you do that might be sending a message that you are not in it for the right reason and you're not in it for the to make the organization successful or you have your own agendas. And it's everything that I saw over the years. I had some amazing, talented, smart 
people that I wanted to promote, but I couldn't because I couldn't entrust them to grow leaders under them because of some of these things that we talked about today. So mm-hmm. I really wrote the book and I put in, I, I'm, one thing you will learn about me is I'm a practical person. I love to be motivated, but I really want practical tools to grow. And so I put in self-assessments in this book of all of the different areas. And it's everything from how you support your company mission to are you the, the gossiper or what you do after hours or how you show up uh, when you're volunteering, all of these things. And some real self-assessments to really see that because What I do believe is people often sabotage themselves unintentionally. They don't realize the impact that it is having on their personal brand and their career. And so I really wanted to just help people with that because it's the piece that isn't being talked about in leadership. We aren't spending enough time talking about this. And part of it is our leaders are not courageous enough to have these conversations with their team members when they see it happening. Well, and Connie, you um, mentioned earlier, what have you just been such a keen observer of leadership throughout your career and throughout your journey and throughout the different roles that you've had. And I just really admire that you've taken those observations and now offer them to others from you know what you've observed and, and learned and seen. I know that in terms of transition, you've been through a a series, you've led up and to and through a merger, you mentioned that you assumed a different role after the merger. And I know you've now left the organization since. So as you wrap up all that leadership chapter, um, what has that transition been like for you? Well, I'm not going to lie and say it wasn't hard at times, especially what was really difficult for me was when we pulled down, for example, our cultural values off the wall, even though horizons were great culture values, you just get so personally invested when you create uh, some things like that in an organization. So I had times where definitely things that I felt were attached to my heart and soul were kind of going away and being replaced with things. That was that was kind of tough. The hardest actually, though, during the transition for me was to see team members that couldn't see the big vision of what we could become, which can actually confirm the decision that that maybe partnering was the right decision. At times it did at least. But it was for those who actually walked away from bigger opportunities because of not liking the change. And a lot of the not liking the change was an assumption that hadn't really been lived out yet. And if you study change, you do see that people react based on what their fears are. And we saw that happen, but that was, that was tough. We were fully committed to keeping every job, no pay cuts, no required moves, no demotions. People were challenged and to see some team members be so focused in the short term and walk away from such amazing long-term opportunities was, was truly hard. And we were not perfect at it. There was a few positions that we did not do well with. But in the overall big picture, that was, that was hard. Those are the two things that kind of nag at me just a little bit. But what I did as leaders, I stayed focused on how we're going to serve the member, how we're going to serve our people, how are we going to serve our customers. And then I think the other thing is staying very curious and open-minded. So I knew my job was going to change. I knew I had a lot of responsibility that I wasn't going to have any responsibility for. And I had input. They really respected my input. But 
I knew there was going to be things that were going to change for me. And I just stayed curious and open-minded and that really helped. And I encouraged the team to do that um, as well. And, you know, the person that's going to follow me will have different ways that they do things. And so encouraging the team that's there today to stay curious and open-minded, I think is, is going to be important. So I'm looking forward to taking all the lessons that I've learned, all the great experiences that I've had, and um, doing some consulting around them. I think that'll be, uh, be be where I can give back at this point. Connie, as you share those insights, I just noticed you, as a leader, able to hold the possibility and hopefulness of what this merger meant, and also some grieving, that there were things to kind of grieve and let go of, and to be able to hold both. So where from here for you now? What what are your plans? You've alluded to them a little bit, but tell us what your vision is for your next chapter of leadership. Yeah, so I'm super excited. I am going to do some consulting. I've um, had some folks reach out and want to know if I can help them with their teams or workshops or uh, working with boards. That's something I'm passionate about. I've volunteered for probably 20 boards or board committees or work for boards my whole career. So I've seen some really high functioning boards and I've seen some some boards that are really dysfunctional. So I I really would love to help boards and, uh, and how to be great strategic thinkers and how to be effective in the boardroom because they're leading amazing big organizations out there. And it really those board decisions impact a whole lot of people. So that's one passion. The second passion I have is I get asked quite a bit to help teams in communication, how to have courageous conversations, how to have critical conversations to move the organization forward, how to be going down the same path together, how to identify the mission, all of those. So I'm super excited about doing some consulting around just general strategic direction, uh, but also communication, because I do believe communication today, courageous communication is weak in our world and we're seeing it. And so I think we've got to get better at encouraging everyone to step up and find ways to have those uh, communication things. So those are two. I'm excited to do some consulting around building your personal brand because I think it doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, We all have a brand and how do we show up and how do we build that and create something that is steadfast in you that doesn't matter who knows you, you've got this um, respected brand. And it's something I've worked super hard at and I I love it when I, I can help other people see the things that they can do and or tweak that really would help them. And then I really just want to help these folks with my book. I really think that there's a lot of opportunity to really get in and help uh, folks. I get my soul filled when I can really help that that executive or even mid-manager um, get to the next level and lead their teams uh, in a in a more courageous manner that's um, working well for them. Well, blessings on all that much needed and important work, Connie, in this next chapter of your career. Thank We're you. going to turn the corner now to our turning point questions. We always ask three questions of our guests. And the first one is this, if you had not pursued, you know, kind of the accountant, CFO kind and leadership track, what other dream or idea did you have for yourself for a career? I actually have thought about this quite a bit. And I love children. I love working with children. So I really would have enjoyed doing more things in in working and developing leaders in children. So working with 
I think middle school age children would have been really, really fun. That being said, I have volunteered in the classroom with junior achievement and teaching financial education curriculum, for example, and I have total respect for teachers and I couldn't do that. <laughs> so that I, I really don't know. But honestly, today, if I were to ask myself today, what one piece of knowledge do I wish I got more of or learned more about? I jokingly, I really wish I'd learned more about IT. <laughs> I really miss my IT department. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, technology's grown so much. We all need our own personal IT department anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely took them for granted. <laughs> you have to become your own IT department. It's a whole new chapter. It is, yeah. Here's our second question then, Connie. What is a leadership lesson that you know would have helped you had you learned it earlier? I would have made more courageous decisions early on to ensure that every team member was on the bus and supporting the vision. I can think of times where I misstepped here and it hurt in sending a mixed message. So top leaders have got to be in sync with where you are and they've got to be complimenting you and how you lead, not creating their own heroism about creating their own teams or being the go-between uh, so overall, I do almost everything I've done again. I would definitely take the same path. Uh, but the one thing I would have done differently was been a little more courageous. I was I was more fearful of, and these are always well-liked people, right? More fearful of what others would think or the fear it would create instead of really setting the tone because it breaks down trust. And then they usually create their own tribe and now you've got more than one. And so it, it, managing through that is is creating some headaches that aren't necessary. So that's probably where I misstep definitely that I would I would have more courageous decisions early on about making sure everyone was clearly on the bus and supporting uh, myself and the board. Thank you for that, Connie. That's so critical. What is a current book you're reading and why did you choose it? So I love Brene Brown. She's kind of my new person that I love reading her books. And she has one called Daring Greatly. And really, it kind of ties into what I just said. It's really about courage. Courage is, it's what's required more than ever today, in my opinion. And we need leaders, as I mentioned, that'll step up for what is right. We also need leaders to encourage that are wise and character rich we have got to encourage some of these people to step up, for example, and run for office and get in leadership positions. Because until we start supporting who we elect in a positive tone, our great leaders that have the capability are going to refuse to ever put themselves in those situations. So I think we have to shift. And I love this book because it really is about courage in your leadership and your communication and how we support each other. So I think we've got to shift there. Connie, thank you for your time with us today, for sharing your story and your journey. And again, we wish you all the best in this new chapter of your leadership and life. You've been listening to the Third Turn Podcast. I'm Kristen Evenson, and my co-host is Mark L. Vincent. Josh Brinkman engineers our sound, and Jennifer Miller supports us as producer. If you would like to be considered for the next Maestro-Level Leaders cohort that's forming for kickoff in the new year, please visit maestroleveleaders.com. 
Please be aware that this podcast is among many resources available from the community of practice known as Design Group International. You can learn more about DGI as well as its blogs and podcasts at designgroupinternational.com backslash resources. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast, continue joining us, and sharing it with your leaders and friends who you know also, like us, care about future value, succession, and legacy. This is for our grandchildren's grandchildren.